A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. In response to some listener feedback, I'm changing up the formats a little bit of the interview episodes. If you want an extended summary of the episode, you can listen to the Sunday weekly summaries and programming notes episodes. And going forward, the episode summaries in front of each episode are going to be considerably shorter. Just some key points uh, about what I might have learned or some interesting highlights from each episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Emmanuel Schweizer, the data officer for EMD Electronics. I'll share some interesting thoughts and questions that came from the conversation to start. Number one, good governance starts at data collection. What are ethical and compliant ways to collect data from the beginning? This points to intentionality around data use stretching into the application. What should you collect that might not be part of the day-to-day application function, but that might lead to generating insights that will be used to generate a better user experience? And what are the ethical concerns there? Not to just collect information for monetization purposes, but for actually providing a better experience. Number two, should we initially create data products to serve specific use cases, or should we focus on sharing data first and then shaping what people consume most into data products? EMD is approaching data products from a different angle than most using the second approach. Justin Cunningham had also talked about that in episode 69, um, but most people are kind of designing their data products around specific use cases. 
Number three, when looking at data mesh, should you start with the high data maturity teams or work to pull everyone up to at least a decent baseline maturity level? If you work with the most mature teams, will their challenges really be applicable to the not so mature teams? Can you find good reuse patterns to scale your mesh implementation from those really advanced teams? Number four, domain owners are much more willing to share data if they understand use cases for how their data will be used and they can maintain some control to prevent misuse. Reluctance often comes from an incomplete picture causing concerns. The more visibility into how data can be and is being used, the more willing domain owners are to share. But understanding your end-to-end data supply chain is tough, especially to start. Number five, how do you evaluate when to spend the time with a domain to get them data mesh ready? If you need a high value use case to justify spending time with that domain, are you leaving many domains behind? This ties to number two and number three prior. Number six, set your target picture, but be ready to adjust your target picture along the way. The world is ever changing. Don't walk into an expected target outcome. Number seven, good data governance is about speeding up one, access to and to usage of data. Number eight, EMD launched a data literacy program where the employees spend the majority of a 10-week time frame learning about data and how to make use of it. For Emmanuel, making things tangible relative to data makes people much less hesitant to explore and use data. And while they're early days on that, they're seeing some pretty interesting feedback from that 10-week data literacy program. Number nine, you should make using data a quote-unquote part of the job. So it is tracked and part of the review process. Otherwise, you are missing out on a key incentive to leverage data. Number 10, how many people in your organization wish they could be leveraging data more often to make decisions? What's holding them back? Is it tooling, knowledge, incentivization, access, etc.? Something to really look into. And finally, number 11, how can we democratize insights? So much of insight generation is one-off. How do we make that scalable, shareable, repeatable? I think this one will leave you with a lot of really great perspective on those questions and thoughts. You might end up with more questions than answers uh, than you had going in, but that's totally okay. So I think you'll enjoy this one. Let's jump in. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Super, super excited for this episode here today. I've got uh, Emmanuel Schweizer here, who's the data officer for EMD Electronics. And why I'd asked uh, Emmanuel on was, you know, I'd seen him talking a little bit about data governance and kind of the challenges of data governance with data mesh. And we've had a couple of episodes about 
what kind of so how, how difficult it can be to federate your data governance and how there's a lot of these challenges. But I think, you know, Emmanuel's perspective on it is really, really interesting because it, I think it's a very, very pragmatic thought process about how we actually go about this and that it's not all or one, like how and how do we move towards something like this, especially on the governance side, how do we move towards data mesh in a company that's not in that kind of digital native space? So uh, Emmanuel, with that kind of as the background, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of, uh, you know, a background on yourself and we can jump into the topic at hand. Yeah, thanks for the uh, for the quick introduction here. As you said, uh, myself, Emmanuel, I'm the the data officer um, of EMD Electronics, which, which is a, a business of Merck KGAA, Darmstadt, Germany. And um, from my background, I'm I'm actually a PhD in computer science. So I'm coming more from the technology end of the of the spectrum. But I've been even in my my postdoc years always been trying to to work out what can you do with data. So we were already collecting a lot of like personal data, a lot of data on like people behavior. And so even in my research, it was already important to understand, okay, how do you collect, how do you store large amounts of data in, in a kind of a compliant, in a compliant way so that you can do interesting things with it, um, understanding activity patterns of, of people, incentives, gamifications, all this kind of uh, good stuff. Um, and then I, I went to the automotive industry, really like selling AI products um, to like fleet uh, fleet providers and, and kind of workshops um, around connected car data, which is another interesting space from a, from a governance perspective, but also from what you can do with the data around predictive maintenance and, and planning your driving behavior and all this kind of all this kind of good stuff. Um, and so my whole career has been kind of, as I said, centered around uh, collecting large amounts of data and and then kind of providing value on this on this data, interesting insights, and now. In the um, with EMD Electronics, it's really in the in the chemical space material provider to the semiconductor industry, um, and and so it's as you said, uh, not directly uh, a digital industry, but really a more traditional traditional industry. And here we are really trying to to solve different challenges from supply chain, as you can imagine. Currently, a lot of supply chain topics up to R and D, um, like how do you use AI. Uh, to kind of find new molecules or so really interesting stuff also. But obviously we, we are a company with a lot of legacy systems, a lot of um, uh, legacy IT systems where you need to think about how do you bring this new stuff in? How do you bring AI into the, into the mix um, with, with, with reporting and all of this? And how does that influence your governance structure? And, and how do you make this all work together? Yeah, and, and you know what? What have we learned from just-in-time uh, inventory <laughs> practices that maybe we need a little bit more slack in the system? And yeah, um, uh, I, I mean, I could talk about semiconductor stuff. I, I used to uh, cover that space, so it's it's very very interesting to to kind of talk about the uh, the different uh, wafer types and all that fun stuff. But l- let's let's talk about that kind of concept of how how do you even think about something like data mesh and having that conversation when it is something that for non-digital native companies 
can feel really, really confusing and a, and a little bit scary. You know, people are worried about what what is their job going to be? Is my job safe? Is this going to change the way we do things? It, you know, are we still providing um, the right checks and balances around risk, you know, rather than a lot of people just think it's chaos and giving everybody access to everything. And that's obviously not true, (laughs) but like, how have you started to have those conversations internally and, and, and how do you start to, to even think about that decentralization versus centralization on a lot of different aspects, even just thinking about that, your, your kind of evaluation framework? Yeah. So, so I think the, the main challenge is that that often as a starting point, and this is for us a couple of years back, but often as a starting point, you have all the data kind of in these different silos, right? You have, as I said, you have the supply chain data, you have the R&D data, uh, you have the marketing sales data, you have all of that in, in, in different silos. Um, and, and so what, what the tendency is and, and what's a good starting point is you start to break that out and kind of centralize all of that. And we've seen all the, activities around like bringing it onto a central data lake, um, bringing all the data together to break down silos uh, and, and all of these activities. And as you said, people then naturally start to ask, okay, but if I give my data to the data lake, uh, how do I retain control and make sure that it's used in a, in a compliant way and it's not used, or as you said, it's not opened up for everyone, but it, there's still like a need to know principle and, and all the other um, all the other stuff that, that you need there. Um, and then with with data mesh, kind of you you kind of you say okay we've, we've broken down the silos, but what we have realized if we centralize everything into a into a data lake, we still want to have the different data domains keep keep that to keep that level of control. So now do we give it back into the data domains? What does that mean from an architecture perspective? Um, because we, if you think about it, it's always technology, people, processes. Um, do, do do you now do a data lake within each of those domains or? Do you keep the central data lake and, and kind of just um, make sure that the data domain owners have have a certain kind of area on on the data lake where they can where they can govern their own data? What does that mean for the data products that are already available? So it's kind of you always have this this journey from like silos to centralization and now to back to more decentralization. And you need to somehow manage this and understand where you are on this journey and what that means in this. Kind of space of of people, processes, and and technology for you as a company. And have you found that when you're talking about data mesh, that people are both on the producers and the consumer side are are there is there that fear of change? Or if it's the producers, it's we're giving you back your control. We're we're giving you much more finer grain control. But with that comes the responsibility <laughs> of really managing what this is. And then the consumers, I know there are people who, when they hear we're giving the domains control over who can access the data and how, consumers are like, but I, I use this data, so I need access. And it's like, yeah, but we can have those one-on-one conversations to make it even more comfortable that the data owners can share even more data with you because they fully understand how you're going to use it in a compliant way. Are, are those conversations going well? Or? Yeah, I think that's the, for me, the main point is um, in, in a lot of places, like we are still kind of learning how to do the first step, right? Breaking down silos, putting it on on a, on a central infrastructure. And then you're already like, okay, 
understanding if it's on that central infrastructure, you need to give some control back to the data domain owner. So now you're saying, okay, we just got the data onto that central structure. And now we want to give you a certain level of control back, as you said, to kind of make the data owners um, less reluctant to share data, more open to sharing data. You want to give them some control back. So it's kind of you're in the process of of doing your first maturity step when you're already thinking about and having conversations about uh, the next step because you're anticipating kind of the, the problems that coming that are coming if you if you go for a fully uh, centralized like I think this is the uh, the struggle that you're having is right it's kind of um, understanding the end-to-end data supply chain is is really hard when you just established the end-to-end data supply chain um, and then kind of understanding okay here's the data owner of the source system and it goes through all of these intermediate systems now how do you give them the visibility that they can act on that? And how do you link that to your to your central infrastructure? I think those are the the kind of conversations that we keep having. Um, and and I, I wouldn't say it's a it's a it's a struggle. It's more like it's a starting point. And now you need to set it up and figure it out with the with the uh, the data domain owners. Like how like how do you steer the data product? What do you do with it with the with like a central engineering team? And what do you do with the data owners? And how do you split that in an in an efficient way? Well, and I th- I think that's a it sounds like what you're doing. You know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like what you're doing is starting with that kind of pragmatic approach of and and I've seen this in a lot of of organizations where it's like let's get to the muscle of sharing and and figure out how we can share and then we can steer that data product and, and evolve it to be much much better in the long run but like we need to think about how how we would accomplish this in in the right scenario and kind of pretend we're in that right scenario even though we're not going to be sharing the most complicated of data the most complicated data set um that we're going to get in the habit of doing this and and move from there is is that the right way to think about what you're doing yeah exactly it's like you 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 take a starting point where you say okay for this big initiative for this for this use case for this project that we're doing let's onboard all the data that we need onto an infrastructure and let's just say we take the engineering team and we take all the let's make an example let's make a complete example you take all the manufacturing data out of all of your plans and you put it into a central into a central data lake and, and now it's there and people start building these use cases as you said there's like these data consumers coming in and people start building those those use cases um, and then you kind of say okay we have these different plans and we have the, the different data coming in now um, how can we kind of put the, the structure around that um, instead of having this project like uh, people in the project approving the data you, you start to now say okay we put it into the data catalog we put the metadata around it we know that this type of data can be reused because it's already reused from different use cases. And then you start to kind of naturally, uh, you see a couple of data products emerging that are interesting for, for people um, kind of. And then around those data products, um, you say, okay, for these data products, who are the, really the data owners in the business? Where do they sit? Do they sit in the plan? Do they sit in, in, in some other function? And how can we work with them that, once the consumers start to, I don't know, find uh, inconsistencies in the data, 
quality problems with the data. It's not kind of flagged with a central uh, engineering and governance team, but it goes back to the to the data owners and the source systems to really be fixed where it should be fixed uh, close to the close to the store. So basically, you start pragmatically um, getting data in for the for the use case around a certain domain, and then certain data products start to take shape, and then you go back and have those conversations with the business to assign the data ownership back to the to the business from those central teams that brought the data in. Yeah, it, it sounds like you've got kind of an end picture of where you want to go and you're doing kind of the slow evolution instead of trying to do a revolution. Is is that the right way? Yeah, exactly. Because often it's, um, and I don't know if you've probably, I've seen this in other companies as well, like kind of bringing the data in initially around a certain domain is a large upfront investment. And if you just tie it to one or two use cases, um, those, those use cases will have that up, have to carry that upfront cost. Um, so basically, uh, what, what you're doing, you're, you're taking a cluster of, of activities where you say, okay, this is a, a domain we want to bring in. You centralize that, that process in a big, like lighthouse, pro- lighthouse type project. You bring the data in and then you see these data products, uh, kind of immerse from that, from that project. Uh, and then you, you bring the, and as you said, this kind of structure in place that you want in the end, which is more a data mesh than really a central, uh, like team doing all of the work. Yeah, and I think um, what I've seen it, it this is an approach that I've seen some companies do. Some companies say, "No, we're going to start with very specific use cases, and that we're not saying all the domains data needs to be shared. We're going to say we're going to start with some targeted information that's going to be shared that's got a consumer use case." And so, exactly what you talked about, though, of we're not telling a domain you need to share all of your data up front in a data mesh compliant type of way of you need to hit all of these quality metrics because you don't know what people are going to use it for. And those data products emerge, you might have somebody who says, we really need this information. You know, we're, we're getting real-time information about what we've shipped, you know, to our customers as, you know, I guess I'm thinking semiconductor manufacturing, you know, there's just terabytes and terabytes of data being generated from every machine because you know when you're doing lithography and and all of that it's just so so much information so that could be getting shipped back to you i don't know like where exactly in the supply chain you are but like of that flow of information you might have stuff where you really need to react on it in very very short amounts of time to kind of inform people but there's also lots of things where it's like Eh, we need this information every week. So <laughs> we're trying to say every bit of information should be that we need it as fast as possible, or we need it with a you know a ten minute or or thirty minute SLA. When a lot of it's like we just need this kind of on a weekly basis. This is <laughs> this is fine. This is okay. Um, and and that you don't overly restrict your data quality, or you don't think about the data has to have these qualities because one use case needs it for this small subset of the data. Yeah. And I think the, um, for us, the challenge or the, um, not even the challenge, I think just the reality of things is, um, we will not have a, like a data engineer or a data team sitting in every part of the, of the business that can make those decisions kind of like, what is the right frequency at which we should get the data for that specific use case? 
Um, so, so to your point earlier, I think the pragmatic approach often is uh, let's let's bring that in via a, a like centralized process into a centralized platform. Um, but you cannot kind of centralize the um, ownership of data quality and access control. Uh, I think that's then when you you start to kind of go back into a data mesh structure. Um, so you basically have to, the, the need at all times to balance where do you have the skills to bring the data and to make the technical decisions on all of that and where and how can you distribute the ownership to the, to the business uh, functions that really know what the data is all about, where the data comes from and who should have access to this. And I think it's kind of this, um, this balance that, that, uh, that you need to take a pragmatic approach on because otherwise it's either too centralized uh, and then as you said maybe the data owners are not comfortable in sharing their data because they don't know what happens to it or it's too decentralized and the individual teams they don't know how they can onboard this data and and how often do they need it and who is even consuming their data so i think that's kind of the the balance that we are trying to strike to support as many use cases as possible at uh, at the same time, I think there, um, my, my main learning has been, um, and, and that's what I tried to 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 say before is start in a, in a journey by breaking down the silos centrally, but then while you're doing this, having the conversations back with the business, how we can in a in kind of a data mesh like structure assign those responsibilities back to the to the business so that they. They, they have the data owners. They can say yes or no to access requests as new use cases start to come in. And they can understand also how their data is being consumed because only then they will have the, the ownership to provide high-quality data in some of the some of the cases. So, I mean, I, I think we've touched on your philosophy here, but, uh, you know, kind of the, the big, big question I would say is how do you, one, Tar, you know, set your target as to centralization, decentralization. Are you setting it ahead of time, or are you kind of, kind of <laughs> moving little bits and and testing whether this is the right thing, or we went too far, or not far enough? And then, like, how do you actually set that in motion? You know, we talked about is it a big bang approach, or is it kind of incremental, incremental? I don't want to again uh, put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying incremental, incremental, <laughs> right? And and be be pragmatic and be collaborative and have like kind of check ins that it's not, hey, you go do this. We've made the decision. It's it's this. It's that that conversation. But like, how do you how do you find that balance? Like, what 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 are you looking at when you're trying to figure out? And and is it the same for every? Sorry, way too many questions. But is it the same for every domain, or is it? Uh, each domain has its own kind of centralization, decentralization balance. No, I think it's it's and probably an unsatisfying answer, but it's probably a mix of of both, right? So, um, and I can be like more concrete here. In, in our case, what we really did was like a, a group wide company spanning data strategy, right? So that was a starting point, and that's kind of you should. I think. Going in, you should have a rough idea what the operating model and the organizational structures and your target picture should look like. Um, but then this is a multi-year journey. As I said, you need to bring all the data in. You have hundreds of use cases that you want to run on it. Uh, it's not something that you do in a couple of months. So you, 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 you start with a target picture. And then I think it's, as you said, you, you kind of 
as you're implementing towards this target picture, you need to adjust. So um, uh, does my governance structure work? What's the maturity of my organization? And then also, I think to your last question, um, the maturity in 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 a big organization is often very different between different parts of the business. Um, so you need to decide kind of, do I want to start with my front runners and understand what their problems are and, and how they're doing it and how they're solving it. And then I'm rolling it out to everyone. Or do I want to bring everyone on a certain level first uh, and then get, get going from there? And I think there's advantages in both approaches. Um, and, and in our case, I think there is a certain desire to put everyone on the same, like increase the majority of everyone um, and then and then kind of work with those front runners um, to to do the next step, but it's kind of a it's a mix of setting a, a target picture so that you can orient your organization around that, and then adjusting along the way by understanding what did work in in like getting all the data in. So some parts are centralized, um, and what didn't work. Um, so data ownership and all of these concepts, and then you need to go into the organization. Uh, and, and do the necessary steps to to come to that to the target picture. And, and I think it's it's funny. Um, had uh, Henrik Gothberg from uh, uh, Scania on, or he's working with Scania on their data mesh, and he kind of said the same thing about uh, the front runners. And he's like, we're we're working with the front runners to find the reusability, to find our to build our muscle about how we would do this. And then we're, we're at the same point. It's not, we're only working with them. We're working with the other domains to, to level them up so that you don't have the front runners getting further and further ahead. <laughs> and then, you know, you've got these really um, lagging things, but like it, it is that balance. Um, I think that's kind of uh, the pragmatic approach and, and finding balance is, is something that's, crucial in data mesh in general and and it's it's frustrating because people want an answer instead of multiple answers and it it depends <laughs> yeah i think the um the main point is there and and that's also probably a learning on, on, on doing this a couple of years if, if the the front runners are too far ahead the, the challenges that everyone has are so completely different um, that, that you cannot really start to scale approaches anymore, right? Um, while, while some of the, the um, departments might still have their data somewhere in, a, in, a, in an on-premise database where they cannot even access the data and, and don't do anything with it, others are already struggling with ML ops and whatever other kind of fancy concept you want to throw out there with, with machine learning models. And then, how do you bring those two together? So, so there needs to there is like a uh, a natural need to at, at least keep the delta between your front runners and and your kind of the um, the least mature uh, parts of your company is kind of kind of in check to make sure that you can scale your approaches that everyone is talking about at least similar challenges. Um, and, and, and our different parts of the organizations are at completely different parts of their maturity journey um, and, and are talking completely different languages at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, data mesh, one thing that I'm finding is that the, the people who are having success is finding those reuse and exactly what you said of if, if 
<laughs> if somebody is, uh, you, you think about, um, you know, technology over the ages, if somebody is, is um, just discovering bronze, right? <laughs> Versus somebody's working with uh, laser guns and things like that, they're going to have slightly different uh, challenges. So um, yeah, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And um, one thing that, so governance causes a lot of kind of concern and a lot of kind of upset feelings for a lot of people, because if you don't do governance right, you can put yourself in a very bad position. And governance, you know, isn't just about risk avoidance. It's about risk tolerance and what, what, what can we, what risk, you know, what's the risk reward, but also how do we enable the teams, you know, from a data literacy standpoint and things like that. So would love to to just kind of understand what you've been doing from those those different aspects of of how are you working with the teams what where are they the most nervous and what have you found that's worked or maybe as well anti patterns are really really helpful what what have you tried if you're willing to share what have you tried that it that hasn't worked so well yeah i mean First of all, let's let's start with the philosophy again. I think that worked for the for the last topic. And I had a, we had we had someone come in as as like our group data officer overall for the for the company, and he also comes from the automotive industry, just like like I did. And he has a, I think, a nice analogy for governance because a lot of people have, as you said, they have mixed feelings towards the word governance, no matter in which context it is used. And and what he said in the automotive world. Um, the fastest, like, why do you have a brake in your car? The, you have a brake in your car to be able to drive as fast as, as you can, right? The, the, the fastest cars have the biggest brakes um, because uh, if, you, if you're driving, I don't know, 180 miles per hour on the autobahn and I'm in Germany, so this is actually a, a valid scenario here. <laughs> um, you need to have a big brake to be able to, to, to stop rather quickly. Um, and so the brake is not there so that you're constantly on the brake all the time. The brake is there to allow you to be as fast as possible. And the same is true for, for governance or data governance in this case. It's not there to be constantly people looking over your shoulder and, and seeing if you're doing your access right and, and whatever other topic. You, you, know, you have your quality under control and are you compliant with everything that is out there. Um, you have good data governance in place, as you said, to, to give confidence to people that are sharing data that whatever happens to their data, it's not misused, it's not lost, uh, or whatever incident happens, they, they are immediately notified. So basically, it's about speeding up the use of data and, and not so much slowing everyone down. So from, from a philosophy point of view, I think this is super important and helps a lot of people already kind of understand and, and get a bit away from the the, the, the yeah, ambivalent feeling they have when they hear the word governance. And I think that that's already, um, that, that's already an important starting point. Then I think for us, um, what we have done and, and, and what has been successful, I would say so far is, is, uh, trying to to obviously do a general like data literacy um, campaign and I think there the main point is kind of to 
to make everyone aware what like a standard wording around data is. So what is what is data? What is analytics? What is the use case? What does that mean? What is the solution we are building? How is the data used? And and so it's really about just making everyone aware of the vocabulary that is that is out there, that they're feeling confident um, in those conversations, that they're understanding what, what's going on. Um, and then, but on the upscaling side, I mean, that's kind of the baseline. And then what I've, what I've seen a lot of success is really programs that, that, um, take people by the hand and, and make them use the systems, make them use the governance, have them request an access in the data catalog. So, so make them use the, the, the workflows and the mechanisms that are in place to protect the data, um, to get access to data and, and all of that, that stuff. Um, uh, to drive their business questions. So really, we have a program where we take people out of the business for 10 weeks um, and then just let them get their hands on data in that 10 weeks. They have like uh, training programs. How do I get access? How do I use the system? Um, how, how, do, how does machine learning work and, and all of this? And they get their hands on the whole flow and not just like a a predefined perfect data set, but really, okay, here's the, where the data is coming from. Here's how you get access to it. This is how it's governed um, in, in the system. And, and then they do the machine learning on top of it. So really get the hands on the complete end-to-end -end flow of how you consume data within the system. And then um, it's much more tangible for people. What does it mean that my data is governed? How do I do an access workflow? And, and all of this, if, and if you just give them a, an idealized data set to, to teach them some machine learning and Python programming. I mean, that's, that's pretty, uh, I'll say that's pretty incredible that you're willing to take people out for, for 10 weeks. Like that's, that's a big, big investment in your people, which I think is what we need to be doing. But um, <laughs> if you were to, to pitch that to an American company, I think um, they'd run away screaming or, or, or call you, you know, I know certain people who would, uh, throw out the, the phrase communist or something like that. And it's just like, no, it's, it's that this is, you, you, you get what you, uh, pay for you. If you invest in your people, you get a long-term return. I've, I've been, um, I've been talking, talking to some of the participants, um, that have, and, and this is really, we just finished the first cohort. So it's not something that we have been doing for a couple of years. This is really like things we have just been 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 doing. So I've been talking to the people in the first cohort, and I, it's it's a bit of an make maybe ideal idealized statement that we're taking them out for for ten weeks. Obviously, people find or the job finds finds its way to to make people still do it. Yeah. Uh, so to say, but at least from the from the program, as you said, it's the the intention is to invest because otherwise. Uh, you use it or you lose it. If you just present PowerPoint slides to people on the concepts, uh, that as I said, it's good to get everyone speaking at least roughly the same language. But um, if you want to make a real impact, you have to also invest in in, in your training and upskilling and, and really take people by the hand through all of the processes. Apologies for if it's a bit of an awkward transition here, but we had an audio issue. So, I mean, that sounds like a really, really awesome program. Um, but like one question I've got is historically the way people have consumed data is data has been pushed at them. Information has been pushed at them. Somewhat insights have been pushed at them, um, but often not even insights. It's just been like, here, here's a graph 
and maybe a little bit of uh, some information around what that graph actually means. But like, I know it's it's quite early, you know, your first cohort just finished, but how are you finding um, kind of changing people from that uh, capability towards being able to be much more curious and, and go and find the information, find the data? Have you have you found that people are willing to make that shift, especially if you are investing in in them? Hopefully they are. But like it's just something that a lot of people are are finding that consumers are pushing back, not just data producers are pushing back. Yeah, I think um, so. First of all, people are very receptive. Um, I think once you've shown them the the good stuff, so to say, um, there's always always almost no way of like turning back i think that that's been a, an observation not only in this program but also before i think people are naturally curious um around uh, the the data and i think in the what what we realize in the past it's it's often more for lack of like tools um and and maybe access to data from different domains because it was not in their group and they're kind of in their in, in their purview um, that that was holding people back from exploring the the data and the relationships of the data and, and what you can do. And I think, uh, and I don't know, maybe you can even share if you've heard this from others as well. What, what we what we see uh, traditionally is is people just downloading a bunch of Excel files from different systems and and start kind of hammering away at them like on their local PC and 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 exploring the data that way which is not always what you want because then knowledge is lost on local PCs and, and maybe it's a non-compliant way of, of using the data and, and, and you're, you, you know what to do, but your colleagues don't know uh, what to do. But I think this is a testament to that people have always been like curious to explore data as soon as they know how to get access to it. Uh, I think it's more that you, you, you need to give the right tools um, to people to be, to be able to, Kind of explore data and be curious and and not so much if you say push reports to them what we've seen is often they struggle with the inflexibility that gives them they, they only have one view but they want to explore maybe just a, a little bit of different slice of uh, of data um, and, and so that's when they start to to explore on their own so i i think it's yeah it's been pretty positive but not only with this training but also before that already yeah, and I think uh, it might be also that there's some slight differences between folks in the U.S. and Europe, where folks in the in the U.S. Uh, are kind of at will employment. So there's always that risk of um, if you're not caught up, you're you can get let go for no apparent reason and and things like that. So, um, but that that is interesting, and and exactly what you said about the Excel thing. I've, I've there, there are a couple of companies I've seen that are even trying to be able to to embed inside your Excel, and so that if you do something that is of worthwhile value, it will um, kind of work backwards to generate what the like SQL queries would have been to actually do your transformations and stuff. And so um, I thought that was a really interesting uh, use case. But exactly what you said. Um, if, if you give people the tools and you give them the training to use them, I mean, I, I still love my Excel, but 
yeah, you know, when I was training in, in with Tableau stuff, it was like, oh, this stuff is way faster, way better, like way more scalable, all of that. So, um, that, that, that's good to hear that you're, you're, um, having that same experience, but, um, can I just add, add something to this point? Because I think it's, it's super important because I always, I often get asked like, like, who is this new data analytics world for? And, and, and I think at the, like, if you break it down, it's like everyone that likes to use Excel to explore data. Um, we want to give them, as you said, maybe top tools like Tableau or other tools that make it really easy to do this in a more scalable and a more shareable way. Um, so that it's, it's not just a single person doing it in an Excel somewhere. Um, uh, gaining those insights, but it's it's an insight that can be shared and reused and scaled across different parts of the company, built on more data and, and better data. So it's actually for everyone that is that is using Excel today. Um, they, they should be looking into these tools. And I think there is this this trend that we're seeing around like self-serve analytics, where where people are trying to make these tools like Tableau and, and others out there. I mean, it's not only obviously not only one tool. Um, as, as easy to use so that, that, that it really starts replacing things like, like Excel for like individuals trying to explore data. Um, uh, but in a more scalable way, in, in, in a way that's better to network with, with other tools. So I think this is really, at least what I'm seeing, a really interesting topic on the consumer side of the, of the data. Um, and, and it's not only for the data scientists that are doing like machine learning models. Um, then, then it becomes a topic. That is kind of tangible for everyone in the business because a lot of the businesses are run with like Excel and PowerPoint today, like in a lot of in a lot of places. Um, that that those are still important tools for how the business is run, right? So you start making an impact the moment you start replacing something like Excel uh, with more powerful tools that are still simple to use for everyone to explore the data. And and I think. One thing that I haven't, that's really, really sparked um, a thought for me. Data consumers don't necessarily have to become data producers versus insight producers and and, uh, uh, a thing of sharing those insights. And those may be one-off insights. Those might be um, repetitive insights, right? Like, okay, this does become a report. And so then they are a data producer, but like, there's kind of this difference for me between um, data and information. Data is the ones and zeros, and we need to get to a world where we're really focused on sharing the information and the data. So somebody might be able to go into the data and find new information that the owner didn't even know because they can combine it with other um, data from other domains and things. But like we need to figure out how to do that information. And, you know, a Tableau um, dashboard or whatever could be interesting, but we're also not, the tooling that I see doesn't do a great job. Maybe I just haven't used it in a while, but like, how do you do good documentation around what what your Tableau thing, like, what is this dashboard actually saying? Or, um, you know, can you embed a quick, um, video, you know, a, a YouTube style video or whatever, where somebody's just talking into the uh, camera and they're just like in the little uh, upper corner of the screen and and saying, 
okay, so I created this figure for this reason. And if it looks like this, what I think that means is this. And if it looks like this, I think it might mean this. Or I was looking for this information and I got an incredibly inconclusive result. So I don't know, but it's it's a question that I think we need to answer. And, you know, like that type of of context sharing just doesn't happen. And so like I think that was a lot of what you were talking about of we're we're you're you're on your first leg of this journey, right? Like this is a multi, multi-year journey. And you're figuring out how to get people so that they're kind of re-sparking their curiosity, that you're giving them the tools that make it so their curiosity can drive much more business value than just an insight for themselves. And maybe, you know, they push a report to somebody and it goes, huh. And it's a, a point in time, but like, I, sorry, you just sparked that, that general thought that there's, there's just this huge underbelly of, really, you know, deep domain knowledge and deep insight generation capability. And we've just got to unlock it. And it sounds like you're doing a great job up front, but. No, I mean, I think this is exactly, um, and as I said, we are, we're now more on the data consumer side than, than on the on the kind of governance and, and, and producer side. But this this is exactly as, as you, as you summarized, um, it's kind of you have the data. You you also with the data mesh. I, I think you, what it's really about is kind of breaking down those those silos and having that domain data from different domains at the end available at your fingertips. And now you need to kind of unlock the the insights generation by getting people away from tools that are locked into their like local environment. And it's really hard to to get the insights out. Um, into a, a world where it's it's available at their at their fingertips. So kind of what you're doing in the data mesh uh, around democratizing where the, the data owners sit in the business on the consumer side is kind of the same way you're building a mesh of data uh, consumers that are kind of democratizing um, how they're generating insights. And I think I, I especially like the point that you made that sometimes you do an exploratory analysis and it's a one-off thing and then you throw it away. Uh, and no one needs to see that, but sometimes you're investing a lot of time. It becomes a standard report. So there is also um, something like there is a, a natural progression in, in making this more more mature. And this is really how you get the whole um, like the whole organization engaged around the topic. Because as I said, then it becomes a topic for everyone, um, and then you can combine that with your with your like lighthouses or your your project where you really need this. Um, like very advanced analytics skills where, where only uh, like your, your central data science team, whoever is doing the, these kind of projects, builds like applications, uh, analytics for you. And if you combine both of those, I think you get most impact out of your out of your data. So it's kind of like an analytics mesh, if you wanna if you wanna call it that way. Uh, the democratization of the consumer side, uh, and the same way that you are kind of democratizing. The, the producer side with with data mesh in a in a way, and 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 I think um, you you sparked another thought, which Sadie Martin on her episode was talking about. Um, she's you know bringing the product mindset to data work, and like telling data consumers that 
it's still valuable that you validated or invalidated a hypothesis, right? Of, hey, you, you, we wanted to look into this topic and we found out that it wasn't valuable, but that work you did was valuable because it invalidated something where we would have wasted a bunch of time and that you have that conversation that you kind of are able to flip that script on people of, look, we're, we're not out here to, to bat, you know, well, to use an American analogy, bat a thousand, you know, in, in baseball, um, uh, uh, to get, you know, a hall of fame hitter, somebody who's just incredibly good hits one out of three times, right? They get a hit one out of three times. So, um, it's fine to have those things where it didn't amount to something. And you can even share the, we, we tested this and it didn't amount to something, but like that, that, that that's incremental learning. And the learning is, is the value because it, you know, Sadie was talking about, it's not about finding answers that are valuable in and of themselves, because then you're only going to spend your time trying to be like, we're only going to test these five hypotheses because then we're going to be five for five because we're already pretty sure that these things are are right. Versus if her team can test 50 hypotheses and get to eight valuable answers, that's way better than batting five for five. That eight out of 50, it's, you know, 0.16 instead of 1.0. Doesn't that mean that you're doing worse? It's like, no, they did eight versus five. Like that's... <laughs> <laughs> that, that, and and they invalidated, you know, maybe 10 were inconclusive, but they said these other 32 are are not right. So let's not spend any time on even attempting those because we had the time to, to invalidate them. Yeah, and I think this is exactly like there's a lot of hypothesis testing already going on in your organization and you just need to make it visible and then you kind of scale it, right? I think that's the, the main part. Yeah, and... And I think governance can kind of be about, <laughs> you know, kind of the kumbaya uh, strategy. I, I think, you know, Jamak has, has asked the question of, is there a role for a chief data officer in um, in a, you know, long-term data mesh implementation? You know, once you've kind of gotten to a place where you're in that happy place, is there still a role for somebody? And And I think there is from the continuing to make it easier for people to, to get towards data and to um, create that environment that that experimentation is valued, right? It's what, what is valued is not necessarily valuable and what is valuable is not necessarily valued. So like, how do you, governance is kind of about aligning those two things. <laughs> uh, if, if, you know, if you want to, zoom out 8 million uh 8 million layers yeah i think that's a uh how should i say it's a it's a super interesting thought of how will the the data mesh look like in that happy place right i i think that's that's already interesting in itself um how how do you how do you define that that happy place and is that the same for everyone yeah and and i i think the one of the frustrations of a lot of folks going down the data mesh journey is that the journey isn't, isn't the same at all for everybody. Right. So, 
Um, you talked about that you're kind of doing the uh, let's Justin Cunningham had had talked about doing the same thing that he really recommends of creating this big pool of data and then the um, desires and the, uh, you know, the data products themselves emerge from that because people are able to test and they're comfortable with the knowledge that the data isn't that high quality and that, you know, you, you tell people don't actually integrate this into your production systems until you have the conversation with the, the data product owner to get it to the quality level you need, but you can get a sense of what's out there. Yeah, and I think that's, I, I don't know if, if you had this also in, in some of the other uh, uh, podcast episode already, but I think the, 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 the fun starts when you kind of, you have a couple of, like, as you said, uh, use cases, hypotheses that you're going into, you're, you're uh, kind of getting all the, the data uh, in, into, into the system. And, and, and at the end, what emerges are maybe not, not completely different, but slightly different data products that are then really reused across the, across the whole company. Uh, and then you can, as I said, once those have kind of naturally uh, emerged from, from, um, from a pool of use cases that you were going in with, um, you can really invest in, okay, like who's my data product owner? Who's my data owner? So, so who is driving that product as a product owner? Who is owning the data from a business perspective? Uh, and how do you make it, make it all work um, across the, the different kind of organizational and, and system boundaries? And, and that's where the, the fun starts. I, I think that's, that's where it becomes really interesting. And and how do you think about, I mean, I think domain-driven design and, and domain boundaries and stuff kind of also falls under governance. Like, are you, are you trying to define those boundaries up front or, you know, and, and like, are you trying to define the interoperability up front or are you looking to evolve towards that interoperability because you're still in kind of phase one of things or... Yeah, I think that's a that's a question where we really um, I would say at the beginning um, because you can always like what what is like how do you slice your data domain is it is it by um, uh, I don't know we talked about semiconductors and we are also active in in other industries like like um, uh, display like material for displays and all of this so it's a bit different per industry but do you slice it by I don't know this is the data domain of integrated supply chain this is the data domain of r&d and this is the data domain of um of marketing and sales or do you slice it by this is data that it's used for uh, patterning or thin film or whatever other like use of your products within the within the industry that you are serving so how do you really uh slice your your data domain i think it's something that um uh, is, is an important question and i would say we are only at the at the beginning of of answering that so I've got a, um, I'm going to pin you down on, on a question here of, you know, you're, you're kind of early-ish in your data mesh journey, but are, are you seeing good returns on it thus far? Or are you kind of, because the, and the reason I'll tell you that I'm asking it is most people are thinking that they have to do a whole lot of work up front. Um, and it sounds like you're you're doing the work to get the the data into a place where it can be shared and people can access it, but you're not 
defining the data products themselves before they the information is shared. You're not saying, okay, I'm going to kind of start to map out my hard boundaries around my domains. And so this can give people the permission to experiment a little and move forward. But, you know, what, what have you seen from early returns on this? And, and kind of when are you actually expecting to see the bulk of, of the value from what you're doing to kind of come through? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the main the main value, as you said, has been that people have been free to kind of get the data in and start to explore before um, kind of uh, the whole exercise we're doing right now in, in defining the data domains and, and, and getting all of that that set up more in, in the sense of a, of, a, of a data mesh. And what that exploration has allowed us is now uh, going to all the data that we have onboarded on the platform, we have, we have built data models, we have, we have built use cases and really uh, uh, check out, okay, what are the, the tables, the parts of the data model um, that people are reusing constantly between different use cases and then taking those, cataloging those and really focusing the efforts of our product owners on those data products that are really in use instead of kind of trying to, from the get-go, Say okay, you are going to do supply chain data. You are going to do uh, marketing and sales data, um, and, and you are going to do these three data products because we think those are the ones that are, are, are most needed. And then you might put a lot of effort into things that are not not reused. So for us, the main point, and it's it's kind of in line with the consumer democratization we talked about earlier, is how much reuse are we getting on those on those data products um, because there are some, there's always lighthouse use cases that drive a lot of business value, um, like, like customer segmentations and, and supply chain cost efficiencies that drive a lot of, that drive a lot of business, um, value. Um, but as, as you, as you're getting more and more consumers on your, on your platform, um, you'll see more smaller uses of your data in the sense that we talked about earlier. Someone is testing an, an hypothesis or an insight. And putting it into 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 a report, so we are really looking at reusing these these data products. So for us, a lot of the the KPIs around what the success of a data product looks like it's really like how many people are using this data, how many use cases are accessing this data. And I think this has been the the main early success for us has been um, giving people room to explore before there's these hard boundaries. Um, and that allows us to identify successful data products and investing hopefully in the right data products. That's great. Yeah, I, I think that's. Um, I think if people were, were to be saying, "Okay, but I need like a, a super early return on investment uh, at the monetary level," you're you're starting to see that emerge. But it's not that it's um, that you've you know, created 30 new products or anything from, from the information, but that it's, you're, you're creating the culture that you want. Is that the right way to think about it? Yeah. And I, from, I from my experience, if you really, if you, if you think about early return on invest, um, most companies shouldn't and don't start with like data products, right? Because usually a data product is something that is reused across different use cases that then drive business impact. So if you're really into like early 
return on invest focused on some low-hanging fruits within your business where you know okay if i do an analytics here a report here and i can make an improvement here by three percent that will drive a lot of business value um, and then once you have those in place as i said invest in the things that are common between those use cases and make those into data products and that will then drive maybe additional use cases that will give you additional return on invest and i think that's kind of the we talked about being pragmatic here. I think it, 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 it then that gives you um, both the business impact that most people are looking for, the return on invest, and then also the confidence that at the end you're investing in the right data products that then are reused across different use cases. Okay. Yeah, I think that makes. I think I, I, I like that thinking approach to it. So, um, so I mean, you know, we're we're, we're coming up on on kind of near an hour here. So, you know, one, thank you for uh, <laughs> all your time, but is, is there any advice that you would give to somebody that is starting down this data mesh journey, whether that's um, things that you've done that have worked well or things to avoid? Um, I think those anti-patterns are also very, very helpful uh, when talking about that. Yeah, I think the, the main point um, for me is, as, as I said, try to figure out um, on, on a high level what your vision is because data mesh, um, like there's a lot of different components to it and there's there's also not always um, this, the same happy place as we talked about earlier for everyone. Um, so what, what does your happy place look like um, kind of and then how do you slice the elephant uh, so to say, how 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 to get there? So, um, as I said, does it mean that every data domain in the end has its own data lake, and they somehow need a very complicated structure to talk to each other? Or you, do you keep your central data lake, and you just federate your governance, and the teams can can work on that uh, in in, a, in an independent way? Um, make sure you understand what that happy place looks like, and and how do you get there? Um, and, and and how do you t take the people with you while you're getting there? I, I like that. Um, I, I think that's a a good kind of uh, uh, thought uh, for people just trying to move forward. But is there any other way that you wanted to, you know, kind of, is there any summation of what we've talked about here or any points that we didn't talk about that you think are kind of important for folks? No, I think we covered a lot of a lot of ground. There's, uh, I mean, there's a million topics more that you can talk about. We we talked about both consumers uh, as well as producers uh, a little bit. So I think um, we we covered quite a lot, and, and really was a was a fun conversation. Yeah, very much so. Um, so uh, if people do want to follow up with you, where's the the best place to do that, and and what do you want people following up with you about? Uh, the best place is, is for me LinkedIn if you want to follow up with me. Um, I think that's a, a fair place to, to start a conversation. Um, and I think I'm, I'm always interested in exciting ways to, to use the data once the, the, the right data products are in place. Um, so if you have cool examples around uh, the, the chemical industry but also in other, in other areas, of how people are using data and, and providing the impact to the business. I think those are exciting conversations. Or if you want to kind of nerd out on, on 
on architectures and infrastructures. Those, this is the other topic that <laughs> I, people can always reach out, and we can we can try and see uh, what we can fit in uh, there on that on those topics as well. Well, and, and presumably you're you're hiring as everybody is in the data space. If you want a place that's going to invest ten weeks into your data literacy, that's not a a bad uh, selling point. <laughs> if you if you want to have a place that um, uh, exactly invests in your in your development and in your in your training, and also I mean it's a global company, so wherever you are located, Asia, the US, or Germany. Um, Exactly. We're, we're still hiring around data engineering and architecture. Yeah. Awesome. Well, again, uh, Emmanuel, this has been so great. Uh, thank you so much for spending the time with me and, and sharing your thoughts. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Emmanuel Schweizer, who's the data officer for EMD Electronics. You can find a link to his LinkedIn profile, as per usual, in the show notes. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about, like, going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.